Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thanks, Brian. And it, it's, it's always interesting for me to, to say that, yes, God, I, w- I want to preach... I want to say, or I want to ask, or I want to do according to your will. And then Lord, then God just comes and says, okay, shop. But then it is my will 100%. And building up to, towards this week, I was, I was towards today, I was thrown by, by what God wants to share with us today. Uh, something which, in my mind at least, is completely different to how a, a sermon is supposed to be. Where usually we'd say, yes, let's get some content from the Bible and then we work through this verse and then from, from this passage we break it open, say how does it look now, how do, how, do we, how do we break this open and make it applicable to us and then take it forward from there. But what I'm going to do today is doing it a little bit different, actually completely different and just go a little bit back into what God has already taught us as a church because we live in a world where the next big thing is, well the next big thing. It's always the thing we change, the, the, next, the next pair of sneakers or the best place to, to put your money into or where do I go on holiday or how do I look or what is the next trend, there's always a next big thing. And we tend to so get focused on what is the next big thing that we start to forget about what was the previous big thing which we already got taught by God and are we actually implementing this? Because we can get big thing after big thing after big thing if we don't start implementing the things which we've already learned then these big things become useless. So what I'm going to do today is something which, if you told me 10 years ago I would talk about history, then I would have said, boring, I'm out. But today I'm just going to go into, into a little bit of history, and history of, of Shofar Secunda specifically. So not the church or the bigger Shofar, this church which you are sitting in at this point, and the history around where we started. Because there's something special being... That wasn't me, I promise. There's something special about being part of a covenant with God. And if we say, Lord, I am part of this movement, or I am part of this entity, then the values and morals and promises of that movement is true for us as well. It is like saying, Yo, you know what, I'm going to be someone who wears the specific brand of clothes. And You just have to do it for a day or a week or a couple of months and you're starting to get associated with that brand. And if that brand suddenly starts changing its morals and views and outlooks on life, whether you like it or not, you're you're implicitly connected to that. And this is exactly what this church is about. If we say that I'm part of Shofar Secunda, then the promises which God has made for Shofar Secunda, but also what Shofar Secunda has learned from God, is also applicable to us. So that's why we're going to a little bit of the history. So more than a decade ago, a couple of students, or five or six students, came from Varsity and saying that we want a church like God has given us throughout the last couple of years. And we are now working at Sassel in Secunda, and we're going to start look for a church. And they started visiting different churches and, and just didn't have that peace at heart that what I'm getting is what God wants for me. And then suddenly there's a big trap which which the world sets for us if you don't get what you want just start your own like you are the next big thing like we love that as a millennial you'll always hear you can be anything you want to be 
including a sinner, like that we're quite good at, but you can be anything you want to be. Just start your own thing. If other people offend you, leave and start your own thing. So that's not what they did. What they then said, what we're going to do is, the five of us are going to seek God diligently in prayer. So we're going to come together weekly, as if it is church, and we're going to say, God, show us your way. If there's a church which you want us to visit, take us there. If there's a church which you want us to join, take us there. But if there's something which you want us to start on our own, with you in the middle of it all, then show us that as well. And that is a bold, bold invitation to give God. Because basically what you're saying is, take me anywhere and I will go. And that's exactly what God did. But not immediately. It was not a, God, I pray once and now suddenly the world works. It is uh, more than a year of diligently seeking God and saying, God, we want your will and nothing else. Getting down in prayer onto their knees, saying that, God, what is it that you want for us? And God started answering their prayers after a little bit more than a year by sending a great opportunity to get into a building and start a church. Later on, sending a pastor. And so it continued one step after the other as this church grew. And the, the core of that was, God, I seek you in prayer. We, are, we, we need guidance. We go seek it in prayer. We are getting a little bit anxious. We're getting a little bit worried because it looks like nothing is happening. Where do I go find my my peace, we go seek it in God. Like, God, we, we want you to help us, and therefore we go to prayer. But then there's something additional to that which happens. You can imagine getting a church service going takes a little bit more than five people. On the contrary, it takes a lot of people. And now suddenly there's just five people in the church. And one of my favorite stories of the history of this church is that there was a Sunday where one person was on leading worship here from the front, one per person was preaching, one person was doing the setup, one person was at the connect table, and one person was on the media desk. And that's the five people who were in the church that day. And then when the sermon, when the worship needed to start, the only person in the seats was the person who already finished his job, the setup guy. So he just walked over from there to there, and then when the sermon started, there was two people in the seats, because the worship guy also finished. So that was the two people was basically sitting in church for that Sunday. And you know how much different that looked than today? Nothing. Because one truth of this congregation is that not only do we love fellowship, but we don't come for the person who's sitting in the seats. We don't come for the person who's sitting next to you. We come for the God who's been here all the way, who's been here before those two people, who's been here before Shefa Sukuna started, who's here today, and is going to be here long after all of us have left these seats. And that'll never change. And that is the reason and the only reason why a church service of, of one person will look exactly the same as a church service of 200 or 500, or how big this church will even grow. And that just reminded me that, that if, I, if I come here and say, the reason I'm coming today is because I like the people, I run the great risk of someone offending me by saying something or making a comment on my old shoes or whatever the case may be and then saying, if the reason I came here was because I like the people, the moment I stop liking them, I will not come anymore. If I come here because I love the worship, it will take one song I don't know and I will not come anymore. Or if I come here because redemptive coffee is awesome, then it will take one Sunday without redemptive coffee and I will not come anymore. But if we say, Shofar Sekunda is built on that one Sunday, when, or an example is that one Sunday when we said, there's one person sitting on the seats, 
but it looks nothing different. We worship like it's a full house because the same God is here. We preach like it's a full house because the same God is here. If we, if we truly walk into that um, basis of which Shofar Sukuna is built on, then it doesn't matter if the sound is not working or the projector doesn't work or the seat is not exactly packed like, like I would prefer it to be or the drummer messes something up or the coffee is not lacquer. None of that will matter because we're not here for that. And Shofar Sukuna is built on the base of more than a decade ago of us willing to say, I don't come for the people in the seats or any, any of the decorations around that. I come for the Holy One, the one who's changed my life and the one who will keep on changing lives going forward. So on that point of people bringing the gifts and, and making things happen, you, you can imagine that it's also quite hard work. If there's only five people, there's, there's, there's no off Sunday. Like, it's like, guys, if, if I'm the one who's, who, who opens on a Sunday morning, but I'll be here three out of every four Sundays, then the other people are, are a little bit stuck if I didn't unlock it in that morning. And I want to tell you a quick story, a survivor story, actually, which explains this so, so well. So a couple of years ago, I was privileged enough to be able to be part of the greatest game, uh, Survivor. And there's one thing, no, there's many things, but there's one thing specifically which just blew my mind. And that is the, the effectiveness at which the project is executed of recording that season. And one of the things I can clearly, clearly remember is the one guy had a title. And if you come from a rugby background, this is a bad title to have, the water carrier. Yeah. Like in Survivor, it's a proper, this guy does a proper job, but in rugby it'll be, you can't scrum, kick or tackle, so you're the water carrier. But it's not that kind of water carrier, like this guy's proper. But people ask me often, Renier, is it really as tough as it looks? And I say, it's a lot tougher. Like, do you really eat as little as it looks? Like, like you eat a lot less. But the one thing which I can guarantee which won't happen is you, you won't dehydrate. You get a lot of water, like fresh water, like seawater as well. But you get a lot of fresh water. If you are willing to make the sacrifice to walk to the water run and back, which is far, every day a couple of times, you will not dehydrate. You just need that dis little discipline. But the question to ask is not, will you dehydrate? The question to ask is actually, how does that water get there? Who brings this fresh water? Like, where does it come from? It's not just a, a spring and not a water well is full. And also, you are, you're so scattered all around the island, all around the premises. Now you're at camp, then you're at the challenge, then you're at tribal council, then you're at a different challenge, and then you're ju just walking for endless miles up on end. And everywhere, you need to have water. And then the next question comes through. Like, for how many people does the water need to cater for? And the answer is, we are 20 contestants at the start at least, and then Jason goes home, and then you're 19, and then Pandy goes home, and then you're 18, and, and so it goes on and on. But that's the one side of it. They call that the active side, in front of the cameras. But the so-called passive side, which is behind the cameras, consists of 250 crewmen. That crew also needs water. And they also, wherever they go, they also, need to be in, they also need to be hydrated and they need to get water as much as possible. And there's one guy who's responsible for making sure this water works, works. And everyone has enough water. And there's a saying in production which goes, if it's not on camera, it didn't happen. And everyone knows that. And basically what they say is, guys, we need to get everything in the box, in the camera. Because if it's not there, we can't show it. So what they, and that's also the reason why if you think you're quickly going around the tea because your bladder is full, there's three cameramen following you and saying, okay, yeah, sorry, sorry, and then you go on. But that, that's how serious they are about it. And the water carrier knows this. 
And he knows that he doesn't put any, anything in the box. But what he does is he allows, he allows the cameraman to never have to walk away to go get water. And he understands that really, really well. He equips them to capture each and every second of content which they need. Not once would he say, it's like, I'm not super keen for this job, or yes, this is not a great job, or I'm not the one with the camera. He understands that there are ex ex extremely, um, there's a, a lot of complexities which needs to work together, and one of the ways which he eases that on the guys with the cameras is making sure they are well hydrated and they have water with them. I remember the one day walking up to a challenge, and it was still about 45 minutes to an hour before the challenge, but just arriving at the set, I could immediately see where the cameramen, the sound guys, and the assistants would stand. Just by seeing three water bottles, three water bottles, three water bottles, three water bottles, three, 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 and so you could go on. Because this guy knows his job. He knows that wherever I go, I, or wherever the crew goes, I need to make sure they have water, they are set up for success. And that does something quite special. Because now, suddenly, he brings his gift to the table. His gift is make sure there's water everywhere. But not only does that serve the bigger body, which is the Survivor production crew, that also allows the cameramen to bring their gift to a fuller extent than they would have if they didn't have that support from the first guy, the water carrier, bringing his gift. Now suddenly they can be completely focused on the job at hand for them and the bigger picture of get it in the box. If it's not on a camera, it does not exist. In addition to that, I spoke to one of the production guys after the season and asked him, what is the best advert for you, like for Survivor? If, if you have to say the best advert is social media, billboards, Mnet advert, like what, what is the best advert you could have? And without thinking twice, he answers. He says, get, a, get someone who's never watched Survivor before to be hooked onto this season and tell all his friends about this great thing which he stumbled upon, which he so loved, which he so bought into, which has captured him, and now suddenly he wants to watch all the Survivor seasons. He says, you need one guy like that per season, and the brand is growing. That's all you need. It's worth much more than a 70,000 Rand billboard next to the N1. Just one guy completely, completely indulged in Survivor, this new thing which he found, and telling everyone about it. Now that Survivor principle, that water carrier principle, is also true for where this church started. Because those five people who each brought their gifting, one person doing sermons, one person doing worship, one person opening up, doing setup, and so it goes on, what they did is exactly the same as the water carrier. They said, I will come and bring my gift to allow other people to bring their gift. If I don't unlock in the morning, then the next person can't facilitate worship, and the next person can't do a sermon, and someone here is not going to get the message which God intended for them to get on that day. But it goes even one step further. The, the water carrier brings his message so that one person who stumbles upon Survivor in that season can go out with a lot of enthusiasm and reach the world for Survivor. And that is exactly what happens in our church and what has happened from the start. Those five people bring the, brings their gift, and the result thereof is everyone sitting here, including me. If it wasn't for them saying that, I'm going to bring my gift, and I'm going to commit to it completely, I don't, I don't know who's going to join this church. If you ask any one of them, one of the, those five people who started here more than a decade ago, to name one of the names of the people who are sitting here today, I can guarantee you would not have known. Because he didn't see the bigger picture at that point, but what he did know is my gift 
equips, and my gift allows other people to be brought into this fantastic thing which I've stumbled upon, which is the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what our gifts does for us. It allows us primarily to grow. That's the first and foremost thing. If you're a good water carrier, you become a better water carrier, and next season you're a fantastic water carrier. Secondly, my gift starts to unlock the gift of those besides me. If I say, I'm willing to bring my gift, I'm, bringing, I'm willing to bring water so that the cameraman can be a better cameraman. Then what suddenly happens is someone says, I'm willing to, to sweep the floors so that the person who is facilitating worship can be a better worshiper or can facilitate the worship better. And then thirdly, the reason I bring my gift is so that someone who comes through those doors has the best possible opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. Unleash the gra- God unleashes the grace and love of him on that person who goes out and reaches the world through the little bit of the gifting which us, the water carriers, bring. So this is all cool stories, and, and it's true for, for, us, for our congregation. But if we don't support this in, uh, in Scripture, then it might just be a, a good uh, motivational talk and say, okay, guys, are you motivated now? Let's go. But that, that's, that's not what we want to do. So, so let's, let's, just think, just, let's just think back about those, um, those three principles and then take it, take it further from there. So the first one is what they understood, the people who, who started Shofar Sekunda, what they understood and they understood really, really well is that if I, don't, if, I, if I want guidance, if I want support from God, the place to do it is on my knees in prayer saying, God, we want to know, should we start this church? Should we not? Should, we, should, should I take on this new challenge in my life? Should I take on this work or this job? Or where should I go? And the answer is, to my knees. Just like our church has grown, where it started from, from a small group of people saying, I will be on my knees for guidance. Secondly, it is, when we come to serve God practically, we praise Him truly. So each of them brought their gift into this place and the result is everyone sitting here, everyone who has ever sat here, as well as everyone who's ever sat in the morning service, is the result of those couple of people, those five people bringing their gift earnestly. And then thirdly, they also knew that they didn't come for the people or for the things or for the good feeling which coming to church brings because none of that would have been sustainable. They came for one reason and one reason only for the God who's always been here. Because if they came for the other cool people, today when there was just one person on the seats, would have broken them. I can just imagine, if if your one objective is, we need to grow this church, that's why we're here today. Last week, 20 people rock up, and today, one. It'll be morale-wrecking to be able to experience that. But they were never chasing numbers. They were chasing one thing and one thing only. And that was the presence of God. We can almost stop there. It's almost good enough for us to say that. That's a sermon on its own, those three things. And I, when, when, I, when I come to this point, I'm, I'm reminded of that, that very mock adverse which said, but wait, there's more. So do you, do you remember this guy? That guy. Who, who ever saw this guy on TV when you were a child? Donkey. Like that guy want, made me want to buy a big green clean machine. Like, I was seven years old and I did not use a vacuum in my entire life, but a big green clean machine can pick up a bowling ball and that's why I wanted one. So 
That's completely off topic. I just had to put that in there. But we're not, we're not speaking about bigger and clean machines today. But there is more, and the more comes from the Word. So let's quickly take everything which we've discussed up until this point and take it to the Bible and get that confirmation from the Bible to make sure that we are indeed on the right track. So the good thing is, or the lucky thing is, or the greater thing is that all three aspects which we've discussed now, in, uh, intense prayer, serving, and serving God and coming to God for who God is, is encapsulated in one story. And Stefan actually stole the whole sermon just, just before I started about Job. So thanks, but that's, that's where we're going. We're going to Job. If you were in Bible school with me recently or in small group or in accountability or in intercession, you would have also heard this story, so bear with me. But that's also confirmation of that's where God wants us to be at, the, at this point. So disclaimer, it takes 11 chapters to create the context which I want to create, but my wife said 11 chapters is too long. So we're doing one chapter and then I'm just going to chat through the next 10 to get us, the, to get us through all the context. Okay, here we go, one chapter. Job 1 says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. If you have to think of the richest person in your area, whether it is your friend's group or Secunda or where you grew up or your family, like, quickly think, who's that person? And how much do you think he has? If you're sitting close to someone, just, just tell that person next to you, I think this person has. And then you complete it with whatever the case may be. Quickly, quickly take a half a minute just to, just to tell the person next to you, the richest person I know is and he has. The number of uncomfortable giggles tells me that we are all the poor people together. No, that's not the point. Let's, let's, get, let's get back to scripture. Jo Sorry, that was completely unnecessary. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. What a dad. One day the members of the heavenly court came to, pre to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Now, we all have heard people saying that um, God loved David, or we hear of the loved disciple, or there's, there's a couple of special people which we hear about in the Bible. But quickly, just, just capture what is said here about Job. Is this not the ultimate compliment? When God says of you, he is blameless. He is a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. If God says that about me, I've got it made. 
I would feel, wow, what a thing for someone to say about you. But if God says this about you, sure, you must be an immaculate person. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you must test him. The, the Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. Farmhands, basically the people working on the farm. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. That must suck. Just imagine you're building up a business or a farm and suddenly everyone dies. Everyone and everything dies one day without warning. There it goes. Gone. Have you ever, who here has thought, You've had those days where you said, what else can go wrong? Like everything is going wrong at once. Has anyone ever felt like that? Okay, you'll, you'll, underst you'll understand, Job. Listen what comes next. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with the news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While the first person was still speaking, the second person arrives. That must be bad. That must be, be, be quite an Afrikaans will say, Gatslag, if that happens. It's like, sure. This person comes and gives me bad news, and while he's still talking, someone else says, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're not going to be It's not going well on your other form as well. It can't be great. But luckily, one person escaped to come tell him again. Then a third time, while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Now that's just, that now it just becomes, oh, what the hell? Says, how? How? Like the first one wasn't lacquer. The odds of that happening, everyone on my farm dying at once, yes, that's, that's not great. Two in one day. Yo, God, this is, this is bad luck. While the second person is still speaking, the third guy rocks up and says, Listen, everything is going as bad as it possibly can. Yeah, that'll, that'll break me personally. It'll, it'll break me. Three bad ones, and usually we, stay, so we say, that's strike three, so that's the end of it for you. But not for Job. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Now, if the fourth guy rocks up there, I'm chasing him away. I, I can just imagine, like, one guy comes, bad news. Second guy comes, bad news, like, yes, I'm seeing a pattern. Third guy comes, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know what's going on here. When the fourth guy comes, just a get. Uh-uh. Kani. Kani. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Oh, great. This sounds like a good story, at least. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Of all the bad news, I cannot imagine myself losing all your children at once. I cannot imagine losing one child. Never mind all your children at once. This must be gut-wrenching. 
I can't imagine myself how that 15 minutes or 20 minutes for Job needed to be. The one guy is still giving you bad news, then the next guy comes in. And if you thought that was bad enough, then the third guy comes in. And if you thought that was bad enough, then the fourth guy comes in and tells you, listen, now all your children are dead as well. Like, that must be, I, I, can't, I can't imagine how that must be. So think of the person you just thought about five minutes ago, the rich guy. Think how that person would react if everything he has was gone in a matter of four messengers, four WhatsApps. Sorry, it is back. the bank. Sorry, fraud, investment broker, sorry, I took your money, or whatever the case may be. And then the, the fourth guy, sorry, your children just passed away. WhatsApp's falling one after the other, tup, 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 tup. I cannot imagine how bad that must have been. I don't think any of us can imagine how bad that must have been. Now we're coming to the Faroof Brothers' combo of we're seeing that, Lord, you are the one who gives and takes away, but still blessed be your name. Suddenly, the context is much, much deeper. And suddenly, I start doubting whether I sang that with, an, with a truthful spirit. Lord, you are the one who gives and takes away, but blessed be your name. And that sounds good, it sings like it. But yo, what if you really take away? Well, I still say, blessed be your name. Tough question to answer. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. And I think, wow, what, what a way to reply. Like, yes, the socks, tear my clothes, but then fall to the ground. Lord, I worship you for who you are. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did, nothing, did not sin by blaming God. Have you ever heard the person, I remember when I just joined the church, I heard this every now and again, and it almost irritated me when someone would go through suffering and he'd say, but praise the name of the Lord, or praise God. Have you ever heard that? Has it ever irritated you? Because <laughs> for me, it's like, well, how? Like, who? How? But what we learn from Job is, it is not, he did not praise God because of the suffering. He praised God despite of the suffering. And that is, that is a, a very, very deeper connection with God, which you now, now need to highlight, because basically what, what we learn now from, from, from Job is that if he praised God for all the prosperity which he had, he would have stopped to praise him when it was taken away. But that's what Job did. He praised God despite all the prosperity, all the riches which he had. And when it was taken away, you could still praise him despite of everything not being there. Because if he was praising him for what he got, he would have stopped praising him if he, if he lost it. I spoke to a friend a while ago who said, yes, I really want to use my, my business to, to proclaim God's name. And he said, and, and we were chatting, and he said, but I just, it, it just doesn't get that oomph. And in that moment, God just revealed the words that said, I don't even trust, I can't even entrust you to sweep the floors in my house. How can I entrust an entire business to you? That's not the lackerest words to hear. It actually sucks. But the truth is, we all know the story of, of the three slaves who, got, who each got, two, got different talents and the master comes back and he says, you were, um, uh, you were a good slave, you were um, responsible for a little, you treated it well and therefore I'll entrust you with more. And God says the same for this businessman. He says, 
Yes, you want to change the world and have a big, massive business and say, but God help me. And it's great. But what you first need to do is go to my house on a Sunday and sweep the floors. I want to entrust you with the small jobs first. And then when you have been good with that, when you have been a loyal and faithful servant with what I've given you, I will walk the road with you with something else and something else and something else. But now the side of the Job story which we, which we often miss. Job was not, not a good servant when he had little. He was a good servant when he had nothing. God took away, or everything was taken away from him, everything. And still he could say, God, I praise you. I carry your name, not because of what I have, but despite of what I don't have. So the next 10 chapters basically sounds a little bit like the following. Job grieved, and he mourned, he moaned, mourned. And he said, yeah, God, I can't imagine. Like, why, how did this happen? But never did he say, did he say, you are bad for doing this. He said, but he was, he was, he was in, in a state of pity, which he felt like, why, how does this happen? And it takes four chapters for a prophet to come and say, Job, what I recommend is that you get on your knees and connect with God. And Job says, cool, that I can do. It takes another five chapters before Job actually does that. And he just empties his heart in front of the Lord. He just says, Lord, my heart is here. Like, I, I, I feel pain. I don't know why all this happened, but I'm coming to you to say, I can't. I can't go on. Like, and I think the, the equivalent for us would be, I've been praying for this person's salvation for so long, and it just doesn't change. I've been in this tough situation with my finances, and it just doesn't change. I've been, I've been um, trying to get out of debt. I've been in a tough situation at work. I've maybe gotten myself into trouble, which I, I'm responsible for, but I'm trying to get out. But it just doesn't work. And the advice from the prophet, which Job takes five chapters to do, is get on your knees with God and say, God, I'm pleading to you. Just like the founders of this church got together and said, God, we're pleading for your guidance. Do we join this church or do we start something new? Do we go to that pastor? Do we go to this building? To get onto our knees and say, Shofar Sukunda is founded on pleading with God in prayer. Job confirms for us that that is how you get guidance. And we are invited to do exactly the same. Then secondly, we learn from Job, one of, the, one of probably the worst things which we quickly brush over when we, when we read Job, is that if you sit here and you're, and you're married, you'll know that the person sitting next to you, or, or your spouse, let me rather say your spouse, we don't know who's sitting next to you, but your spouse is the last person. I'm just sitting here alone in the front, it's like, yes, like, <laughs> that iPad is not, uh, doesn't always have my back. Your spouse is the one who has to have your back at, until the last, the, the very, very last point. But there's a point in Job where we read, and we briefly read over it, where his wife turns against him and says, listen, this God who you are still praising, he's dropped you. He has, he has punished you. I told you this is not a great God. And how's Job is suddenly in an extremely difficult situation. Does he now follow the one who's been with him for so long, who's supported him, who's never let him down? Or does he stay with the one who has really never let him down? The one who's really always been there for him, even before he was born. The God has always looked after him. You must feel pretty alone 
when everyone's turned against you, your friends, you've lost your children, and now your wife turns as well. I can't imagine myself in, in, in that position. But still Job says, although I have nothing, I will praise the Lord. I'll proclaim his name. And it's also because Job knew that just like Shofar Sekunda is, is built on, we're not here for the people or the things, we're here for the God who brings the people and the things. Job knew that as well, even before everything was taken away. He knew that I'm going to praise God because I am a worshiper at heart. That is who I am and will always be. And the proof in the pudding for him was when everything was taken away, he said, but who am I? Was I someone seeking, seeking all these material possessions, these this statuses? Or, was I, or am I someone who says God and nothing else? God and no one else at all, point, at all costs. How that practically looks for us is if you are here tonight because your hunger for business or to sort out financial problems is bigger than your hunger for God, you will forget about God the moment that is sorted out. And there's no softer way to even put that. If you are here tonight because there's someone cool here who invited you and you want to keep impressing that person and that is more important to you than God, you will turn your back against God the moment that person is not here anymore. If you are here tonight because cool songs are sang and that's more important than God, you'll be the first out the door if you don't know the, the songs next week. And there's no softer way to put that. Job knew, Job knew that. He said, God, it's you and nothing else. If God wanted any of his possessions, his oxen, his children, anything more than he wanted God, the moment this horrendous set of events occurred, he would have said, no connecting me. That's, that's as far as I can go. God, I'm turning my back against you. Yeah, and as I'm standing here, I specifically feel, and I want to highlight it again, if you are here tonight because there's a financial pressure on your heart and you want it sorted out, and that is more important for you than God, I want to challenge you to lay that down, to say that God, you are more important than my financial struggles. Because if it's the other way around, the moment that financial struggles is sorted, God goes out the back door. And the same is for family members, lost family members. If you're seeking for someone else to make the right decision, it's bigger than you're seeking for your personal relationship with God. The moment that box gets thick, God gets left behind. I want to ask us to, to pray together a little bit through, through these three topics specifically whilst we worship as well. Now, I didn't ask Maria to, to pick this specific set list, and I didn't ask Stefan to, to give, bring word beforehand, but it's just how in tune God is, and how he has brought the sermon together. So, I want you to, to quickly have a look there at, the, at the screen, to the yellow, yellow line specifically. It's a summary of, of what to pray in. The, the white says, the three points we've spoken about, which is the, the foundation of where Shofar Sekunda comes from, as well as the confirmation which we got in Job, which says, God gives us guidance and consolation, consolation in prayer. 
That's where our guidance comes from. And if there's anything which you're sitting here with thinking, I need guidance, I need help, I need advice for my business, for where I'm going to live, who I'm going to marry, how many kids we should, ha should we have, all those comes from the guidance, comes from God. And what we're praying in there for is let's pray together about what is troubling us, that thing which is really on our heart, which is really troubling us. The second one is when we come and serve God practically, we praise Him truthfully. This would be a great sermon on the 1st of January to say, hey, you better come and serve and, and pick your ministry. But God just convicted me this week to say, Neil, I'm not, I'm not here to let anyone feel guilty. I'm here to start godly convictions on hearts. So that God is calling each one of us to bring our gift, whether it be to start sweeping the floor before a sermon, joining the connect table or setting up. God is calling us because he says, that is how we grow. And that is how we serve him in his bigger body. That's how we become the water carriers of the survivor production team, allowing other people to grow in their giftings and working together in the bigger community of Christ as we bring our little gifting to the table. And there we pray, pray, Lord, where can I come and serve you? And then finally, we don't come for the people who are here, but we are coming for the one who has always been here and always will be. And the prayer there is, Lord, I seek you above anything else. Anything else. Even health, even a successful marriage, even a whole family, even financial stability, and the list goes on. But I seek you above everything else. That's the prayer we're praying there. So I'm going to to pray for us, and then we're going to, then I'm going to leave a couple of minutes to, for everyone to just pray into one of, or at, at least one of these three things. We're going to leave it on the, on the board there. To say, God, come and minister to me where you want to talk to me. And if you can pray through all three of it, do that as well. And then after that, we're going to sing those exact lyrics which Stefan quoted for us before, uh, before the sermon as well. In Blessed Be Your Name, we say, God, you, want the, you are the one who gives and takes away. We worship you because of who you are. And let this, this set or this song be different than it was before the sermon. Let it not be just, I'm singing again, but let it be with a truly godly conviction that, Lord, I serve you, I praise you. You give and take away, but you are the most important. Like Job understood that you're more important than anything else. I understand that now as well. And therefore, I'm praising you with all I have. And I say, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. Lord, thank you that we are here together tonight, Lord, in your presence, Lord. Thank you that you are bringing your, your gift, Lord, which is looking after each and every one of the eight billion people on this earth simultaneously. Lord, thank you that tonight we are here where, because of who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you found the Shofar Sukunda more than a decade ago by five individuals who were seeking you earnestly in prayer, who brought their giftings without holding back, and who knew it was about you and nothing and no one else. Lord, we come into that covenant with you, built on that basis, saying, we also will seek you in prayer, earnestly on our knees. We also will bring our giftings and will bring our serving abilities to be able to proclaim your name and for this church to grow. And Lord, we also will do all of this because of you and no one else and you alone. We pray that, Lord. Lord, I ask that you please now minister for each and every heart, Lord each and every person here who has got the slightest niggle of conviction, 
through what you've shared with us tonight, Lord. To be able to pray through that and take action, action on that. I'm going to leave us for a couple of minutes just to, to pray through, through these three, three points. And I want to encourage you to really lay it down at God's feet, whichever is pressing on your heart at this point.